Welcome to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob teaches line by line and verse by verse from the Word of God. Now, let's join this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study, already in progress. If you would, please, uh, open up your Bibles to Psalm 8. We'll read verses 4 through 9 together. If you're just joining us on the internet, we welcome you to the 10 a.m. service of Whitestone Christian Fellowship in beautiful uh, foliage-colored upstate New York. It's just beautiful out here these days. The leaves have turned and are in the process of even turning more. Uh, So if you get a chance, uh, look us up on the internet, look up the Finger Lakes region and check out the foliage. So please read with me today Psalm 8 verses 4 through 9. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, even the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name. The The message is clear. This is a psalm of David. And David has has had a, a, a track record of going through trials during his during his administration over the throne of Israel. He's had trials all his life. But nonetheless, he sees God as his only his only resort for salvation and for steadfastness in his life. And even as a king on the throne of Israel, he wasn't a perfect man. But God said he had a heart. God's word tells us that David had a heart after God. And that's what God looks at. I heard of a I heard of a woman who, whose pastor passed away and he had a couple of houses and he left, he left them to members of the church not because of their need but because of their love and their faithfulness towards him and to the Lord Jesus Christ. But this one woman who was also part of the ministry but really kind of on the fringe of it. She complained and she said, I should have gotten one of those houses. God doesn't bless us on the basis of need. He blesses us on the basis of relationship and how close we are to him. 
and how much we spend, how much time we spend in his word and in service to him, to the church, to the kingdom, and to others. So just because there's a need doesn't mean God's going to fill it. God's going to reward according to our faith and according to our love and dedication to him. I think that's one of the reasons why God can look upon his only begotten son and say, I love you because of your faithfulness, your steadfastness, your willing to do my work, my work of salvation on the earth, your willingness to go to the cross for all of, the crea- all of creation. And that's an important lesson to learn, which is why in the book of Ephesus, Paul spends the first chapter helping them apply the, the scriptures to their lives helping to remind them that Diana of the Ephesians isn't the God to worship. She's the God of pleasure, the God of births. She is the the many-breasted one left over from Aphrodite and so many others of the the pagan religions of the Middle East and and the Near East. The statues that have been found by archaeologists of Diana of the Ephesians is a grotesque display of a woman with multiple breasts that would cover her whole abdomen so that she could feed all of the children that were birthed due to the fornication that went on in the temple. So this first chapter he has opened he has opened up the apostle Paul and we are in Ephesians chapter 1 still we'll, we're beginning with verse 13 but we need to remember that the church was already established when Paul visited there Apollos established the church was a he was great in his knowledge of the scriptures. He was great in his knowledge of God's word and his plan for the church. But he wasn't perfect. There were some areas of of spirituality and faith and belief and even the idea of the Trinity that he was not teaching of. It's more important that we teach the whole word of God rather than just the portions that we're familiar with. And so as we look at this next section, uh, there's two things that I want to point out, and they're both from last week. Speaking of Christ in verse 7 of chapter 1, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And in verse 14, It says, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of our purchased, of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. 
his shed blood and the salvation that is worked in us through it is his earnest. It is the it is the price that was paid for our salvation. When we look at this word earnest, it is uh, it is as a deposit. If someone sells you an automobile or another expensive an expensive item, they may want a deposit to hold it until you can get all your money together. And that's what Jesus' blood here is for us. It was a deposit until the purchased possession can be taken into personal possession. In other words, until the Lord redeems us from this fleshly tent, when he brings us home, then we're here by grace. We have a spirit that is saved, but it is trapped in a body that is full of sin. We have a spirit that's saved, but that body is temporary, and the spirit will live on. So as we look here at this, beginning in verse 13, it says, In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. It was You were sealed. God's word ministers to our spirit. And it can help to motivate us to a pure life. A more purely lived life. But his spirit is sealed in us. And so that when we do sin, there's naturally, well, that doesn't feel right. You know, I remember I'm sealed for God. I'm set aside. I'm sanctified for his purposes, not for my own. Life isn't all about just seeking out the pleasures and possessions of this world. And so we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is that portion of God that is, I don't know, I, I, I can only explain it in human terms. It's the Spirit of God that's shared between the Father and the Son. But Paul refers to him in other places in the Scripture as he with a personal pronoun. So he has his own identity. He has his own role and his own purpose in our salvation. And so, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory, we are his purchased possession. That is so important to remember. You belong to him. You are his possession. He's put the deposit on you. He has paid for it in his blood. And this is important. Why? Because the Ephesians either were not taught this 
or they had forgotten it in their daily lives. The next, the next section of this chapter is Paul's prayer for knowledge and power for every believer in the church there at Ephesus. And I believe it's all there also a prayer for every believer in this church and every Christian church. If they're reading this, then it's a prayer for them. It's a prayer for the believer. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This is a, a common statement that Paul has towards all of the churches, uh, that he's, he's praying for you. He understands our love for one another and the love for the Lord. Uh, he mentions it in Romans 1.8, 1 Corinthians 1.4, Philippians 1.3, and Philemon 1.4. In the beginning, every, every instance that he mentions, I think of you and I pray for you because of the love that you have. And it's in John 13.35 that we read that by this, all men shall know that you are my disciples by the way you love and have love towards one another. That love for the brethren, that love for Christ is like a big beacon flashing. It should be flashing in our eyes and our face and in our life when others see us. <clears throat> it should make us stand out in a crowd, there should be a happy, there should be a happy smile on our face when we see the brethren, and we see the other members of the church, because our spirits will relate to the fact that we're both saved, or we're all saved. So he ceases not to give thanks for you. It prays to the Father making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, not my Lord, our Lord, our, our Lord that we hold in common, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's the God of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's the Father. It's the Father. When Jesus prayed, he prayed to the Father. the Father of glory, that he may give you the Spirit. <laughs> that he may give you the Spirit, excuse me. The Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, if you're familiar with where we got the name of the church, you'll remember that it's from Revelation 2.17. And that promise is that if we overcome, he will give us of the hidden manna. The little secret things that we read over in the scriptures, but necessarily don't acknowledge right away because it's kind of a vague, it's, they're vague promises. And frankly, there are so many promises in the scriptures that it's easy to read over them and not really grasp their importance and the profound effect that they are going to have 
and already have on our lives. So that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, in the knowledge of the Father, in the knowledge of the Son, even the knowledge of the Spirit. It's all in here. In verse 18, he continues, he says, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now this is directly referring to Jesus. That you know what is the hope of his calling. What is Jesus' purpose on earth? He came to Bethlehem so that he could go to Calvary. He came to Bethlehem to experience the life of the people that he has created. To experience family on a, on a phileo basis, on that love of family basis, loving one another. And how much it means to everyone that's ever been born on the face of the earth, that familial kind of love. It's a reflection of a God's agape love. Because if you truly love your family, you want to give to them. You want to supply for them. You want to bless them. You want their name to increase. <clears throat> The hope of his calling. The hope of his calling is that all his children might come home to him. That salvation will be worked in each one of them by his life, by his sacrifice, his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. That's the hope of the calling of Jesus Christ. And the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. If you're a saint, you should be reflecting the glory of his inheritance. And yet, each of us goes through trials, temptations, troubles, problems. But we should never lose sight of the calling that he has on our lives then. He never lost sight of the calling that the Father had on his life. He wants us to maintain that same calling in our lives and not let the distractions of the world, and that's really all the world offers us is distractions, distractions from the Creator. And let's see, how many, how many things can we name as distractions in the world? I'm sorry, we don't have enough time for that today. It would go on and on and on. There's something new, seemingly new every day in our headlines, in our news, in our technology, in our relationships, and even among the simplest of relationships, we're, we're so blessed with our 
with our kids, my wife and I. <clears throat> We're watching God do miracles in their lives, in building them up, encouraging them, adding to the family name, making a reputation that, you know, this is, this is the fulfillment of honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with you in the land which God hath given you. It's the, it's the one commandment that came with a promise. Honor your father and your mother that it may be well with you in the land that God has placed you in. I have a grandson that is really very smart. He did not want to go to college. He learned how to work with his hands in school and in several different jobs. Well, he and his wife have blessed us with two great-grandchildren, and now a third is on the way. It blesses us so much that their love for one another is reflected in the lives and the faces of their children. And his faith, he's giving, he's giving glory to God in every little turn in his life, whether it's in housing, in vehicles and transportation, whether it's in the relationship between he and his wife and his wife and his wife and their children. It's just amazing. And he's never quite satisfied with what the world will offer. And so he keeps he keeps changing jobs. But each job that he takes it is a stepping stone. There's a progression that he sees. He recognizes his own abilities, which are numerous. And he takes jobs that are going to work towards making him more appealing to the next employer. I don't know how he does it. I can't keep... He's only... How old is he? 26? He's had numerous jobs. He keeps them for a year or two and then he moves on to a better job, a better position, uh, more pay, uh, more, more money coming in to support his family because his family is so important to him and he knows that his family is a blessing from God. So when I look at this verse, verse 18, God has given him the eyes of understanding, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. God wants to bless us. And he also requires us to give him glory for all of the good things that come our way. I know my grandson does that. It's just, it's just his nature. 
He knows that he doesn't have a college degree. But this next job has promised him a salary that would be commiserate with a four-year degree. That only, that only happens because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It only happens because of God's favor upon this young man and his beautiful family. God wants to bless us. And he wants us to glorify his name. Now, honor your father and your mother. That doesn't stop just because you're grown up. It's a lifelong process of bringing glory to your family name, the name of your father and your mother. It's not just about obedience when you're a little kid. It's about a lifelong commitment to bring honor to the family name. Honor your father and your mother. that it may be well with you in the land that I gave you. Those are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in his saints. It's also the hidden manna. When you look at it and you see somebody excelling in the things that they do, there is hidden manna at the base of that somewhere. And it may be a word fitly spoken to the individual. Or it may be just a broad promise fulfilled in their life. A promise for all of us. So to know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power. Whose power? Jesus' power. To us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power. His power towards us works because it's mighty. It has no limits. His desire to bless his children is endless. And he responds when we're obedient and we live in his word according to his word and bless his name and honor him. Now about this power that the Lord Jesus Christ has, it's a powerful thing in, his, in our lives. When we, when we look at the word power, it, it comes from the, from the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get dynamite. We... <laughs> This is where they, they got the word dynamite because it's so powerful. It moves mountains. Not only the dynamite, but the dunamis of, of God, Jesus Christ's holiness, which he wrought in Christ, which the Father worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. How is it even possible? People aren't just raised from the dead. 
There's records of them being raised from the dead. Lazarus. Several children in the Gospels and in the Old Testament. But God's hand was evident on every event when someone was raised from the dead. And he worked the power in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He gave him that power then. And because Jesus is Christ, he is God, he is the anointed one of God, the Gospels tell us that Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I have the power to take it and I have the power to take it up again. That's the power of God in Christ. He chose to raise from the dead for our benefit. He chose to be obedient to the Father and put himself and allow, allow himself to be crucified, shedding his blood for us because the atonement of sin, the atonement for sins required a blood sacrifice. In verse 20 again, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Overcoming the death that comes with life on this earth. Jesus now sits at the right hand of his father. He's at the throne. And part of our inheritance is that we shall sit on the throne with him for our lives are hid in him. He set him at his, on his own right hand in heavenly places. Far above all principality and power. Now you may remember from the book of Colossians what this principalities and powers means. It's the powers of it's the powers of Satan and all of the angels. It's the powers of authority. So on that throne that Jesus is seated at, at the right hand of the Father, it's far above all principalities and powers. He, it, he overlooks everything. He sees everything. He acknowledges all the things that are going on in the world, even the evil things. And he knows who the father of lies is. He know who, knows who that evil one is that causes all of the problems for God's children on earth. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ and it's a name above all names. How excellent is his name 
when we look at the things that we are going to inherit, <clears throat> we're reminded of this the scripture verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We are his purchased possession. Purchased with his blood. And when he comes to redeem us from this, <coughs> when he comes to redeem us from this life, things will be set aright. The Father did something else that the Ephesians need to acknowledge. He hath put all things under his feet. The Father has put all things under the feet <coughs> under the feet of his Son. It's important to acknowledge because the Father, the God of grace, the God of love, the God of judgment, the God of all things. He allowed his son to possess all of the powers that he has. He has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things in the church, all things to the church the blessings, the trials. Jesus is the head of the church. And the church is his establishment. He's the head of it. He's the head of this church. Whether the churches around us want to acknowledge it, he's the head of their churches as well. But you wouldn't know it from some of the decrees that come from their leadership. The Father put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The church is made up of individual people. We're his children. He calls us his body. Because the church is to continue his work on earth. The church, therefore, becomes the physical presence of Christ on earth. And we should be, we should be fulfilling his role and his purpose in the world. We should be living holy. We should be living worthily to be called the body of Christ. The commandments also tell us not to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And I remember growing up, the priests used to tell us it's all about not swearing not using the Lord's name in an angry way, not defiling his name that way. But as Christians, we have taken on his name. 
How are we doing bringing glory to his name? I remember working with prison inmates for many years. And there were an awful lot of Christian Christian inmates. They were Christians then, once they got caught and tried and imprisoned. Many of them would claim that they found Christ. But the recidivism rate among inmates is incredibly high. It was high 20 years ago when I was working with inmates. It's even higher now that bail reform laws have come to New York State. The court system has become a revolving door. There's no more punishment for lawbreakers. There's no more charges that the district attorney will bring to someone who steals $999 worth of merchandise from a store. $1,000 is when they'll start to bring charges. Even the courts are lost because they don't bring glory to God's name. Delayed punishment is no punishment at all. No one learns from the punitive portion of the law when it isn't fulfilled. And most of those inmates, I have to say, the ones that called themselves Christians because they found God in prison, and they attend Bible studies in prison. That's a jailhouse religion. The real proof in the pudding, the real proof of their commitment to God and Christ comes after their release from prison. Do they still maintain a habit of going to Bible study? Do they still pray Do they still rebuke sinners? Do they still pray for those that are lost? Are they faithful to share a word of the scriptures to someone who needs to be encouraged? Are they living holy? It's a question all of us has to ask. Are we living holy? Because the social structure of the prisons is like a little microcosm. It's like a, a, a little example of what life is like out on the outside, living in freedom. The temptations are all there. And by working with the prison inmates over the years, I learned something about myself. The only difference between them and me is that they got caught. They got caught. I got caught too. 
but graciously, I got caught by Jesus Christ. And when I saw that I was no different from the inmates that I was ministering to, it changed my life. And it comes to the point where you say, okay, how am I to live worthy when I have no one to instruct me? And that's when we ask for a filling of the Holy Spirit because he is the one who can instruct us perfectly. He knows our ins, our outs. He knows our strengths, our weaknesses. He knows our standing up and our sitting down. He knows how to get us to the right place where we're willing to listen to him. Through his word, through prayer. And I want you to know that prayer isn't just us sitting down asking God for a lot of things and being thankful. Prayer is a conversation. And there's time to talk to the Lord and there's time to be quiet and to listen as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts about the things that we've requested or prayed about. The things that we learn from conversation with God are revealing about situations and they're revealing about ourselves. So when Paul says that he he prays, I cease not to give thanks for you and making mention of you in my prayers, he can't help but think about, about them and his own life of sin and persecuting the church. Prayers can be very convicting. We may point fingers at, each, at other people, but God points that same finger right back at us. So this is a call for the Ephesians to live lives that are worthy. How excellent is his name? His name is really excellent. And if we're called Christians, then we should be bringing honor to his name every day with every decision, with every choice that we make. Because he had put all things under the feet of Jesus and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Have you identified what part of the body you are? When we think of, the, of a human body, and how we interact in the world. We have legs to move us from place to place. We have arms to help and assist. We have a mind to think through things. We have a mouth to speak. We have ears to hear. The body of Christ is multifaceted. And we're all part of it. But what's our calling? Our calling is to be the body of Christ. 
My right ear never fellowships with my left ear. But when both are working in unison, there's a balance to the body. Those are the kinds of things that the Lord wants us to realize that the work of the church is never going to be done. He has a call upon us. He has a call upon me and a call upon you. Live worthy of the calling. Live worthy of the name that we have deliberately taken on, the name of Christian. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the message of this the message of this epistle, bringing correction to the Ephesians, reminding them of who it is that they worship and proclaim their love for. We ask, Lord, that you let these things sink deep into our hearts. Lord, if any doesn't, if any here doesn't know, if any listening doesn't know what his calling is, let him search the scriptures. Let them pray for revelation and knowledge. And let the Spirit of God fill him with the answers that he desires. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We praise you above all else. You are our awesome God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. From Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that thy way may be known upon earth and thy saving health among all nations. God bless you. Go be worthy. Walk, walk in the light with Jesus. Don't run ahead. Don't lag behind. Stay close to him this week. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. To access the list of teachings or to check the archives for Pastor Bob's weekly observations column, log on to whitestonecf.com. There you can also check the weekly schedule and any upcoming events. To contact us or to drop a note to Pastor Bob, you can email us at whitestonecf at gmail.com or call us at 585-924-8820. Whitestone Christian Fellowship is a non-denominational congregation. Every Sunday, Pastor Bob walks us through the Bible, teaching line upon line and verse by verse. And we're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. And if you're in the area, we invite you to visit us. From upstate New York, Pastor Bob encourages all of us to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our victor. Stay close to Him.